Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow fight analysts Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, your host, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. This week we're talking about UFC uh, Fight Night, Rosenstrig versus Gaziev. I couldn't remember which Apex event this is. I think it's Apex 87. Let me see. I can jump on. The only way to actually check these things anymore is to just go to the UFC Twitter page I'm going to call it Twitter forever, by the way. It is, it is Twitter. The Literally, yeah. the <laughs> the URL still says Twitter. Twitter, yeah. And, it, yeah, UFC Vegas 87 coming up this week. And a, uh, you know, an all right fight card. Um, we already talked – we're talking about the prelims right now, but uh, we already talked about how we're both glad that the – the Saudis knocked this back and told the UFC to try and do better. If only there was more of that in the world, and if only it didn't come from uh, brutal dictatorships. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll fully enjoy it when it's like the government of uh, Finland or Portugal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's doing a pretty good job, because otherwise I'll, a lot of these governments are pretty close to brutal dictatorships, aren't they? Yeah, yeah for the course but uh yep nope this is uh the uh the saudis looked at this and said this is a warehouse quality fight card yep 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 hold this in your warehouse please yeah we've got enough shipping problems over here with the uh-huh. uh, the suez canal we don't need this clogging up the atmosphere <laughs> we don't need Jarzina Rosenstruck accidentally getting turned sideways. Exactly. In the canal. Yeah. It's just uh, <laughs> blocking international trade for several days. Yeah. That would be a nightmare. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, that being said, it's, it's fine. It, the main event is the drag. It, the main event really is the drag. This undercard would do a very effective job of propping up say any fight between two top 15 featherweights mm-hmm. or two top 15 lightweights. Yeah. You put uh Sadiq Yusuf in yeah. here with, uh, uh, what's his name? The, uh, Georgian kickboxer. Um, you get Chikadze. You get Chikadze. Uh, huh. I'd watch the hell out of that. Great. Yeah. Give me, uh, give me, um, Let's see. I'm just going to pull names out of a hat. We'll even go to welterweight. Let's give me uh, Sean Brady versus uh, Gilbert Burns. Sure. Yeah. You know, that's a fight night main event. That is fine. Give me uh, uh, Benil Dariush versus uh, Hinato Moicano. Yeah. I'll take it. Whatever. Like that. Whatever. It's just anything slightly more interesting in a better division. 
mm-hmm. this undercard would be a perfectly solid support. Yep. Which is to say it is actually better than what has become the standard Apex quality. Not including the featured prelim. Which no, the featured prelim is this is now once the again the, the features is the of this card. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that that really is, I think, the problem. The features of this card, the things that it's supposed to be highlighting, yeah, they're yes. just bad. Yeah. Our if featured they, prelim. If they made Javid Basher out Iman Zahabi the featured prelim, I'm sure. That's probably yeah. gonna be exciting. I like that. But instead, our featured prelim is a middleweight fight between Eric Anders and Jamie Pickett. And Jamie Pickett is really in some serious charity zone here. I don't I don't know if he's got lupus or like <laughs> Well done. You picked the only disease that everyone agrees is funny. <laughs> right, right. Because nobody, right. nobody really knows what it is. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe gangrene. I don't know. He's got TBD. Yeah. Or uh, I don't... he's got graft versus host. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but there's no reason for this guy to be here. I hate saying that about fighters because he's lost four in a row. He's lost four in a row. His wins are against fighters that are absolutely not capable of hanging around and have been cut have both been cut yep have both been cut and holmes been cut actually holmes has been cut oh he has there you go yeah he he has a fight he had a fight booked uh earlier late last year against daniel de la cruz at aka 31 but injured his neck unfortunately and had to pull out of that fight meanwhile he's lost to everybody from jordan wright to josh fremd like these are not the cream of the crop no he is continually getting knocked back by the very lowest end of the ufc middleweight division yeah and like this is a dude who had to go through the contender series three times because he lost the first two. Yeah. This is he must just have he he must have a a manager who who's I would love to find out who his manager is. Yeah, that is a that is a very good question. There like, must just be some kind of good relationship there with the UFC where they're just like. The manager has just openly said to UFC Brass, yeah, he'll fill out the, the, the yeah. portion of your cards. Sure. Uh, you like what kind of lube for your hand jobs? I got you. <laughs> Silicone based? Yes, sir. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. Like, And the worst part of it is, I, I, like I say, I don't, I want every, you know, uh, I know all these guys, a lot of these guys are like right wing loonies who are five minutes away from committing some horrible, violent crime. Yeah. But I want all fighters to succeed. They are putting themselves through hell for my entertainment. Absolutely. Yeah. They should and, be well compensated. And yeah. Yeah. 
So I always hate when I have to feel like I'm just like, I don't understand why this person is doing this. But I still like Jamie Pickett does not seem like a guy who likes to fight no. at all. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like he he is like visibly uncomfortable. Yeah. At every moment of his fights. Yeah, like the physical tools for him are there. He's not a bad athlete. He's, he looks like a beast. He's yeah. big, he's strong. Like, yeah. But he doesn't but, have an ounce of confidence. He do, Yeah, he just doesn't seem like he likes fighting at all. Even even winning, when he wins fights, it seems like he has to be forced. Like somebody is still, somebody's standing behind him, pushing him into the fight all the way through. Yeah. It's just weird. And yeah. the results speak to that. Like the results are the results of a man who does not really seem to like he likes what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And Eric Anders, you know, he is your prototypical like late stage adapter. I got into MMA at age 28 after trying to have a full other athletic career what was his other thing was he a football player or something he was a noted uh championship winning highly recognized collegiate football player okay yeah and uh because i can't be baseball because he's not fat no (laughs) and yeah then he went and tried to like have a you know the the, he didn't have the right skill set for the nfl it's the kind of thing where like you know, what makes you good in college just does not necessarily make you good sure. at all in the NFL. And so he tried and kicked around with some some semi-pro football, and it didn't pan out either. And then he got into fighting. And what has been come out of that is a very long, slow progression of somebody learning how to fight who is big and powerful and strong and likes yeah. fighting. Yeah. Honestly likes it. Yep. But has had to learn how to throw more than it took like five years to learn how to throw more than one punch at a time. Yeah. But honestly, I think Eric Anders has basically arrived. I know he's yeah. he's lost, you know, like two of his last three or four of his last five or whatever. Yeah. But these he has looked like a more or less completed product in the last three fights. Yeah, that John I, Young Park fight, the Kyle Dowkas fight, the Mark Andre Barrio fight. Much as I love John Young Park, I kind of thought Eric Anders won. <laughs> it, was uh, it was at least really close. super close. Uh, he detonated Dowkas. Uh-huh. And, and the Barrio he, fight was – Barrio just, looks great lately. Like, we saw Barrio just fight Chris Curtis. Yeah, which was and bad, but – Well, round was three bad, was awesome. It was like, But it was a fight where Barrio has clearly, like, learned how – how to compete at a high level and not just throw yes. fights away. And him and and Anders were <clears throat> nip tuck. It was a yep. just constant back and forth fight. Anders has gained the confidence to throw reasonable volume. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he seems to understand his distance and his timing. He just looks a lot more fluid and relaxed. He doesn't constantly get out from over his feet and get off balanced all the yeah. time. He really looks like the experience is paying off, and he's 
uh, he's turned into a, a pretty capable fighter. And yeah. uh, that is more than enough reason to pick him over Jamie Pickett. Yeah, really. It's just like he's not just a capable uh, technician. He's also like at least as big and strong as Pickett. Yeah, I mean, like, both these guys have, have? have lost a lot. Yeah. And both of them are not young. And so it is one of those things where like, but I, I can look at Eric Anders and be like, I get why the UFC would keep this guy around. Absolutely. He's, he's continually gotten better and he likes to fight and he puts on, he's in tough fights. Even if they're not all exciting, he is always clearly pushing himself. And they're often exciting. And they're often exciting. You know, he's, yeah. But Pickett is just like, this man looks like he is constantly clinging on by the skin of his teeth to a career that he does not enjoy. Yeah. I don't understand. So. Yeah. I, I, I realize I took over and went first there, but clearly I. No, no, no. It's fine. It's about fine. It. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. It's, it's, it's the difference between. Um, like, it's like, how do you evaluate, say, like Tony Ferguson? I know now he's finally yeah. dropped out of the rankings and whatnot. But for yeah. a minute there, it's like on paper, oh, both of these guys have like almost as many losses as they do wins. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, this, this looks like a they're both, you know, both big, strong guys. I can look at their pictures on paper. This looks like a close fight. And then you watch the actual manner in which those losses and wins come about. And it's yeah. like Anders losses are close. Yeah. And tough. And he has good moments. And Jamie Pickett's wins are bad <laughs> like even yeah. his wins they look practically accidental whereas his mm-hmm. losses he just looks cowed the entire time yeah he just doesn't seem to like fighting no i think he probably like it's like a so it must be like a social club thing for jamie pickett like mm-hmm. the only reason for a guy in his position to keep doing this is that like all his friends are at the gym and maybe too maybe he's one of those like you know fitness freaks like maybe he really loves the training aspect of it i believe that yeah maybe he it's the competition is his least favorite part yeah and he really likes sparring and rolling and doing strength and conditioning i mean yeah he certainly could, looks like a guy who's always in phenomenal shape exactly if this guy is a gym rat who can be convinced you who can talk himself into taking fights every now and then that would not surprise me yeah but it is genuinely a a fascinating question why he, he has not been cut. I'm not that I'm asking for him to get cut, but no, he pretty clearly doesn't have it. No, it's just like, yeah, there's no, there's no future in which Jamie Pickett is going to make moves, you know? Yeah, exactly. He, there might not be for Eric Anders either, but at least I know like every time out he is, there's, there's, a, there's a function in, in Eric yeah. Anders future too. Like, you know, Eric Anders gatekeeper. Sure. Yeah, and if I I could honestly see him winning three fights in a row, they might not be very like, you know, great fights or whatever. But I could see him like snagging some high profile bout at the end of his career again, like that Machida one he started out with. And yeah, absolutely. You know, being like, oh yeah, wow, this guy really has gotten good enough—not good enough to win, but he's competing out there. Yeah. Pickett's just yeah, I don't get it. Who's to say, like, one more good result for him, one more bad result, and he could be fighting, like, former champion Sean Strickland. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Damien exactly. Pickett, no way. No. 
All right. Anders opened at minus 286. He's currently down at minus 478. And at least nobody's being fooled here. I like that. Mm-hmm. Pickett opened at plus 243. He's currently at plus 380. Yeah. I mean, you got to. Like, Pickett is just. Yeah. Don't look at the records on paper. Look at the footage. It's obvious. Yep. It, it, it is a really easy call to make. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Ludovic Klein, AJ Cunningham, supposed to be Klein versus Alvarez. I would have loved to see that fight. Uh, that is a style clash that fascinates Ooh. me. Yeah, that would have been. Because Klein is very much a. He is a dude that loves to fight at range who does not actually have a range striking game. You know? Like, yeah, well, he's he got loves super powerful kicks. Yeah, he loves tricks. Yeah, he loves to be out. He, he, he's a bit like, uh, you know, it's a bit like um, early career. Uh, oh, God, what's the king of Kung Fu? Uh, Muslim Salakov. Roy Nelson? <laughs> Muslim Salikov. Ryan Nelson is a Kung Fu fighter, as you know. I know, I know. <laughs> Muslim Salikov, he's the king of Kung Fu. Yeah. The client is a bit like that, where, like... You know, sorry, uh, this isn't just because the lawsuit is ongoing. Kung Lee, a little bit, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, you give this guy just an open, middle-distance fight, the very prototypical classic MMA strikers battle... And they shine. It's like, oh, yeah, there are all these crafty tricks. There's power. There's speed. And then you remember that fight Klein had with uh, Mike Trezano. Mm-hmm. Or that fight he had with Jai Herbert, where it's just like guys who can just stick him on the end of a jab. And it's like, oh, you don't actually fight. Like, you don't have a, a style that does things out at range. You just have weird tricks that require space to pull them off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like it's sort of like a high powered Mike Winklejohn kind of thing. Yes, exactly. I am going to come blasting in from eight feet away. Yeah. And you I mean, you don't have to. But given that you, my opponent, are also an MMA fighter, you have to guess what thing I'm blasting in with. Yeah. There's a lot of room for more subtle fighters like, you know, Mike Trezano to be like, you know, what if I sidestep or run you into a jab or counter you? But um, if you give Klein the initiative and you give him the space he wants, uh, yeah, that's a dangerous guessing game to play. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was shockingly like it was shockingly effective against Ignacio Bahamondes. He's fast, powerful. He's got yeah. really dexterous legs. I mean, yeah. It really showed how much Bahamondes prefers to fight tall instead of long. Because mm-hmm. he really was just like, you know, it showed like Bahamondes' tendency to be like, oh, I'm going to meet you in the pocket with counters and like knees and mm-hmm. stuff that will dissuade you. But I like fighting in the po- I like getting into a scrap inside. And Klein would just be like, okay, I'm just going to barrel into you like out of a slingshot. And you're going to have to match my power and ferocity. Yep. And Bahamandez couldn't. 
Um, AJ Cunningham, like, yeah, he is just uh, not. <laughs> He is working on the MMA meta and he's doing it in the ways that create like not great results. He throws out a lot of volume, but he does not work with a jab at all. His jab is automatically connected to a one, two. It is just like, Oh, jab, right hand, jab, right hand. And he just throws everything with power and he tries to just trigger on combination punching either on the counter or on his own initiative yeah and just create a brawl out of it and it's uh you know watching that fight he had against Steve Nguyen Steve Win on the contender series it was zero surprise at all that he ended up getting knocked out in yeah. that yeah his uh i think he let me check the age of aj cunningham he is 29 yeah been fighting pro since 2018 started in amateur 2015 uh this man got into the sport because of conor mcgregor yeah uh we, we you know we we've we've um we've been uh paid for slagging off a an apparent mcgregor impersonator before in, sure, in fact yeah. one of the basharat bros is on this very card mm-hmm. cunningham to me looks like a worse version of that what, what what i see in him is somebody who has a couple like slick ideas yep of how he thinks like i'm, I'm gonna saunter into range you're gonna fire something and i'm gonna like slip and counter with the right hand mm-hmm. and you can tell that one, one of the huge giveaways of the kind of like limited depth of his striking he is really really prone to watching his work yeah he will do one thing whether it lands or misses he will straight up like drop his guard and stand there and not he doesn't have like a natural feeling for like seizing the initiative and building on that yeah uh, against an opponent he's very like one and done and wants to reset and yeah. it really just like hangs out in range half the time just waiting after he throws um it just feels like a really piecemeal game where he has one idea at a time and he is waiting for somebody to just I, I think a a lot of more sort of up to date MMA fighters in the UFC will beat him by just straight up overwhelming him. Yeah, with volume. But Klein looks to me just as capable because if you're going to stand there like, oh, I'm going to do the slip and counter, then Klein is just going to throw three different things at you all at maximum speed and intensity. Yeah, it just seems to me like it's just right, perfectly built for Klein to have his exactly yeah. middle distance. Oh, I get to crash and make you guess. Yeah, I'm going to throw three things at you, and all three of them cannot be met with the same little slip and counter. Yeah. For one of these these gambling choices, that will, in fact, get you killed. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, that's just what I see. He's like counter one two guy who likes to do wheel kicks. I'm like, oh, Conor mm. McGregor. Okay, I get it. I watched him too. Yeah, Klein is he's easy. He's not a hard fighter to box to box out. No, if you have the tools to set a perimeter, he will always try to leap through it. Yeah, so you can just keep the same kind of tools, jabs, low kicks, front kicks in his face, yeah. and. He won't, you know, he will be stuck up, stuck with those constantly. Yeah, but Cunningham doesn't really have an active jab. No. Uh, he doesn't have a particularly tricky. He really just wants to set up his backhand. Yep. I got to say, like, you know, he's he's still pretty inexperienced. He's 29. I think there's room for Cunningham to build on what he's got. Sure. And be a pretty decent striker because it's like he is accurate. He looks like he's pretty powerful. Looks like he's I mean, fast. Hell, he at least he uses his slips to come back with counters, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it does seem like a really shallow idea. Yeah. Uh, that is just ripe for I uh, just waiting for an opponent to grab the initiative from him and and watch him like fall apart as he as he finds out he doesn't actually have the depth to just withstand a sustained assault. Well, and even as we saw on the contender series, even against somebody just working a slower pace than him. And being more of a like pot shotter, Cunningham just presented the same thing over and over again to the point that Wynn right. just started picking up and his game is up. fully built for opponents who like overthrow their stupid right hand repeatedly yeah. and he could just punish them for it. Yeah. Yeah. Klein is Klein is his he throws really stupid strikes, but he throws them from really far away. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of them are kicks, really powerful kicks. Yep. In fact, I'm I'm not gonna like call this with certainty, but could be another head kick KO for Ludovic because mm-hmm. Cunningham loves to slip that cross. And I could definitely see him slipping right into a head kick. Yeah, Klein is a favorite. Open at minus seven sixty three. He's kind of he's now at eight minus eight ninety three. Whoa. Uh, Cunningham opened at plus five fifty one. Is currently at plus six thirty two. I mean that's too wide. Yeah, Klein has he 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 did just get outworked by Nate Landwehr too. Just saying eight minus eight hundred. Yeah, for Ludovic Klein. Come on, man, no. He, he got into a draw. He got fought to a draw by Jai Herbert. Yeah. No, like, that, that's that's way too wide. Klein is too much of a sort of grab bag pot shotter, and yeah, he's not a he's not the kind of guy who can get get a get a, a lead on an opponent and just sit on it and comfortably mm-mm. win. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. All right. Let's see, what do we got next? We've got the a Bantamweight bout, Javid Basharat, Ayman Zahabi, and I will be goddamned if Ayman Zahabi hasn't, like, found a little something yeah. late in his career. You yeah. know? He's a dude that I think has never really had to take MMA all that seriously. Yeah. He's, you know, his brother is Faraz Zahabi. I'm sure he is part owner and operator of TriStar. I I would have to imagine. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I have no idea if that's the case or not. I, I would just imagine, like... I don't know, co-owning brother, a business with another man, that might be a little too gay for... Uh, 
<laughs> for Faraz. A little too gay for Faraz. That's not what he's teaching his sons. Yeah. But, you know, if there are, in fact, and there are, in fact, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten TriStar affiliates out there in the world. Oh. So, yeah, I would have to assume that for that, that uh, Ayman Zahabi has a hand in operating that business because this is somebody who, you know, he's been fighting since 2012. And he has managed to take 12 fights in that thir- that 12 year stretch. Yeah, that that's a it really is a um, uh, Johnny Eduardo schedule. Yeah, like this guy has to be coaching or something. There's no way he's making it full time fighting at this rate. Yeah, but here he is, 36 now, and he's won his last three fights. I know. And he at least clearly seems like he has, you know, found calm in the cage. I think. Yeah, because when he, I mean, when he first got to the UFC, he was a maniac. Yeah. Just like panic brawling mm-hmm. nonstop. And uh, his, uh, now he's sort of become like counter puncher guy. Yeah. You know, um, I don't can't really tell like that he's particularly good at it. Like, yeah, um, he's just calm. He's just calm. And I and and letting people um, walk in and and throwing combinations at them. I mean, I'm not disparaging him. I'm just saying, like, uh, in his two really effective uh, counter punching performances of these last three wins against the two better opponents. He's actually he's knocked them out very quickly. Mm-hmm. So like I would have loved to see him go into a second round with a guy like Alrichi Lang, and uh, and seeing what happened when when that when he was really pushed. Uh, the only example we have of that is the fight with Ricky Tercios, and I don't I don't think that highly of Ricky Tercios. I'm afraid to say. Yeah, I mean, Tercios is. Did, was it was it him that we I, we talked about last week where it seems like he learned to strike from watching old like current Tony Ferguson? Yeah, 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 yeah. Although credit to Tercios, he had the wherewithal to tell the UFC to go fuck themselves when they yeah, uh, no kidding, right? Announced uh, without even asking him that he would be it, he would be fighting Raul Rosas next week. Good for Tercios and good for Rosas. Yeah, for, for, I, mean, for I don't even know if Rosas would be like, ready. He he got sick. But like for him to just be like, I was feel I'm feeling a little dizzy and lightheaded, and yeah. I can't shake it ahead of my fight. I'm just not gonna fight. Fair enough, like, man. As a 19 year old, being you know like yeah, I'm I'm ill right now. It's going around. Yeah, and I I mean I honestly think he got altitude sickness, but could be whatever the case i mean whatever the case like just don't I'm, don't do the UFC for like that remember when dana white ran sage northcutt out there against brian barbarito when he had tonsillitis yeah 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 sage northcutt no favors of course not. dana white's out there hat in hand apologizing to everybody like he had to, like he cares and like it's not his, like it's his career oh, going he's on a, well i have to push back theirs and he didn't apologize He's blaming other people. <laughs> That's not really an apology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't say, I'm sorry, we couldn't make this fight happen. He said, no, no, no. 
Raul got sick. No, no, no. I'm saying with the, the Sage Northcutt situation. Oh, oh, oh. Afterward, oh. And he's like, I, we shouldn't have made this kid fight. Oh, yeah. Oh, this fake contrition. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it's not your career that got like, don't come to us afterward and like be like, oh, yeah, we just handed some, you know, 20 year old, a, a, a potential career changing loss. And I'm sorry, guys. Whoops. I screwed that man. Yeah. You know. They don't give a shit about you. So credit to both of those guys for not hang up, having a fight they weren't ready for and not letting the UFC just PR bully them. Yeah, to uh, wait twice in two weeks. Yeah. Ricky Tercios is like, you're gonna, I'm going to go from fighting in front of like a crazed Mexico City crowd to a warehouse? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. Anyway. Uh all I'm that being said, Tercios is a really, really messy striker. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really tell me a lot about Zahabi's depth that he was sort of able to keep him at bay and beat him away. Yes. With, uh, it just shows for me like Zahabi is just he's fighting calm. No question about that. He has really found a nice little Zen approach to kind of managing himself in these fights. And he has always had the power even if not a ton of craft, that's the question mark, but there's no question mark on his power. Yeah. He's a, he is an authoritative puncher. Uh, and if he can force you to commit the first mistake and time you hundred percent, do I expect that to work against Javid Basharat? No, no, I do not. No. Basharat is both a slicker, more principled striker than any of the guys uh, that Zahabi has knocked out or held at held at bay, mm-hmm. and really durable, really durable, really durable. Just dude, I mean, there's something in the there's something in the that Afghani water supply. We already talked about C.R. Bahadur Zada on the main show. Yeah, uh, Basharat, that guy had a chin. Basharat's got a chin too. This dude can yep. take a shot. Um, so. I just haven't really seen anything beyond that first layer of, uh, oh, if you step inside my range, I'm going to sling two super hard punches at you. Mm-hmm. Basharat's got a jab. He's got a kicking game. He's got wrestling. He has a lot of uh, directions. And he's a good wrestler, too. He is a great wrestler. And he has a, there's just a lot of directions he can take the fight if you give him an initiative which that is exactly what Sahabi has been doing with his new calm approach, letting the opponent take the first step, letting them dictate. Um, and, and as far as I can tell, it's a pretty simple trap that he has laid for people who, uh, I mean, we are, we just talked in the previous fight. I just said that, uh, AJ Cunningham, uh, is, is like his style is designed to out counter bunch people who, throw a really stupid big punch at you. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's sort of the territory I think Sahabi is in as well. Yeah. Um, you can't call a guy a great boxer just because he knows how to not get hit by an unset up overhand right. Yep. And Basharat, like, the thing too is Zahabi's he's faced very few effective wrestlers in MMA. Yeah. And one of the only times he did was against Ricardo Hamosh who took yeah. him out, down three out of five times. Almost yeah. the entirety of 
the hobby's 75% takedown defense comes from one fight against Reginaldo Vieira, his, uh-huh. his octagon debut, where Vieira hit two of 13 takedown attempts. Yeah. And... The and I'm not is, particularly confident about the Zahabi bros approach to no, grappling either. This, They're like, they've got oh. that one weird leg lock trick that yes, Zahabi yeah. loves. And they have poisoned a whole well of fighters yeah. with that. It is really just one of those <sighs> misunderstanding the meta things where it's the TMA, traditional martial artsification. Yeah. Uh, the guruification of Faraz Sahabi's style. Yeah. Where, you, you know, it's the same thing as like, I think time has shown that there's a lot of similarities with Zahabi and with Kavanaugh. Where they want to roll creative, creative, like bits and bobs from other traditional martial arts into the MMA world as a way of advancing the meta. Yeah. And he, he for us, for us wants to innovate. Yeah. They want to, they, they want to be seen as innovators. Yeah. And the reality is that most of the best innovator coaches out there are taking very nuts and bolts approaches to the game and producing really solid core results that then can be enhanced and pushed by the creativity that the fighters bring to their own style. Yeah. You know, that's where a lot of the best innovation tends to come from. Honestly, I think is you get fighters who are wild, artistic, creative talents in the cage and they take a very basic hardwired this is what works game and then they build some cool stuff on it that they can do and other fighters see that and they'd be like oh i can do that too i can i can add that in because i see it as a working part of a game that is otherwise very functional you know and it just isn't um I know it's MMA and we have seen so many waves like waves of like new styles. Mm-hmm. You got to recognize at a certain point that that process has slowed down considerably. Oh yeah. <laughs> MMA right now is not the wild west of like, let's find out what works that it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, more when there was like a new meta being established every yeah. third year. Yeah we have been on a slow, steady train of the current meta, which is volume and pressure and pace. Yeah. For a while. The the pace, volume, striking and pressure, uh, striking meta and the, uh, positional scramble killing grappling meta have been like dominating the sport for the last half decade or more. Yeah. More, in fact. So, but like, um, I, you know, to my point, I was going to say, like, you know, look at somebody like Anderson Silva, one of MMA's great innovators. Yeah. This dude rolled out a shoot box from Rafael Cordero, who is still right. out there producing good fighters. Yeah. 
And he's doing it with this very straightforward nuts and bolts, like pressure and aggression style. You know, innovation is built by the art, the artistic, yeah, like interesting talents. Coaching, I think you gotta, you kind of gotta have a very nuts and bolts first approach. For sure, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, even the stuff that Anderson himself was doing, he had some amazing tricks and and cool moves, but for the most part, he was just doing boxing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was jabbing people. Yeah, he had some really solid fundamentals, and then every now and then he'd pull out something creative that either a only he could do and nobody else can do it. Or then people would be like, oh, wow, that was actually a nifty little clinch trick. And, yeah, you know, people would pick that up and enhance their clinch game yeah, out of it's it. It's the or, mistake of assuming that Anderson was good because he liked to do that thing where he would, like, low kick you with, from the wrong side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, that's just, like, because he was feeling himself and he was just yeah. trying anything. Like, it's the boxing that made him good. It's the, you know, the I, I don't know. And the accuracy. I think it's I think it's pretty obvious at this point that having a uh, a a willingness to accept bottom position and to think that like leg locks are the undiscovered country when um, failing to do a leg lock uh, to completion once can in fact get you utterly destroyed. Yeah, because you've allowed somebody to get on top of you with both hands free. It's it's not going to be the direction MMA grappling goes. It's a, it's a trick. No. Yeah. Good trick to have, but just a trick. Yeah, and it's not something that you want, like, infusing your whole, like, coaching culture, you know? No, you should like, get it's on one top thing if, like, opponent. We've known that forever. Get on one top thing of the other guy. It's one thing if it's like, oh, one, one fighter in my gym loves leg locks, and they innovate with that. And that's not what I'm doing as a coach, but, you know, we built it into their game because they like it. Yeah. It's another thing when you're watching a whole camp and you're like, man, all these guys are going for this same terrible idea. Yeah. You know. Anyway, point being, Bashrod is a really good wrestler. Yep. And he approaches wrestling with exactly the right attitude, which is that your shot needs to be a moment of confusion for your opponent, yes. whereby you can get to another wrestling technique. Shot is your jab. Yeah, DC talks about – he has a lot of bullshit, but DC talks about this all the time in commentary. He's, DC's wrestling commentary is routinely – not just yeah. the best part of his commentary, but often the best part of the whole commentary booth when yeah. DC gets to talk about finishing single legs and shit. I love it. Yeah. He knows and what, what he, he's talking he, about. He talks about all the time. is like, you got in on the shot. You need to change the angle, change your grip. And look to off balance and then change again to get the takedown. Yeah. You have to go through and Boshrod is one of the dudes out there. He goes through that. You watch him and you see him get in on a shot. And you're like, oh, that's not going to work. And he's already changing. He's yeah. already moving to a different takedown. The shot is a jab. It forces the other guy yeah. to react and defend. And then you can make a positional adjustment so that your next attack off balances him. Yep. So I just don't think the hobby's going to be prepared for that. Yeah, I, yeah. But hey, uh, he's done better than we thought he would. Yeah, no. And like at his age, too, he's 36, and it, it feels like, yeah, you know, he's, things have been clicking for him lately in a way that's good to see, you know? Mm -hmm. Bosch right over to minus 435. He's currently at minus 835. 
Zahabi opened at plus 330. He's currently at plus 575. It's wide, but I get it. This is not a you can see one of the big problems with this card already. Even if you even if you didn't know who any of these fighters were, and you're just like, oh well what? It's a you know, it's a UFC card, it's gonna be awesome. Uh-huh. Looking at the lines for this card, yeah. Like we've got fighters at minus fourteen thirty, minus four thirty-five, minus four eighty, minus eight thirty-five, minus eight thirty-five. Like these are a lot of really poorly booked fights. Yeah. You know, yep, a lot of half good fights. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout: Christian Leroy Duncan, Claudio Hibero, and uh, hey, this will be devil. fun. This will be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. I mean, I don't know that this is even necessarily that poorly booked because no, it's true. Duncan is it? He is. You know, Jackson Wink, Mike Winklejohn had a had a British child. Yeah, second British family, and that that child grew up once again to be a poor kickboxer, a mediocre <laughs> kickboxer. Let's see, I'll give him that. Who then turned his his attention to coaching fighters, and the first great product product of that coaching system is Christian Leroy Duncan. Yeah, because. Man, does Christian Leroy Duncan fight like he's been a he's been trained by Mike Winklejohn? Yeah, uh, grab bag kickboxing. Yeah. Um. Now, to his credit, he's big. Mm-hmm. He's powerful fast. and fast. Yeah. Um. And and pretty accurate, you know, with yeah. his his selection of tricks. But yet another fighter. I guess this is the theme uh, of this card. A lot of fighters whose games are just built on tricks. One yeah. weird trick. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. He's. What I want to see from a, a kickboxer or a striker. Um, basically, let me, let me put it this way. Um, cause I'm not sure if I always make it clear, like what my problem is with the trick strikers. Mm-hmm. It is the same problem that I would have with grapplers like Claudio Pueyes. Yeah. Uh, or oftentimes Brian Ortega, which is why I was so impressed with his last fight mm-hmm. that these are a lot of times like anti positional strikers. Yeah. What they lack is the ability to control an opponent. And this is a difficult thing to master, but you don't necessarily have to master it to at least demonstrate some understanding of, okay, I can't give away this angle. I can't let the guy get this close to me unless I'm ready for him and I have a trap laid. And I am going to open him up by stepping this way, by using my jab, by fainting, like how to pressure an opponent, whether from the back foot or on the front foot, while you're not touching him. Like that is the real art of striking. Uh-huh. How to create a threat and therefore to like impose your will on the opponent in the same way that a positional grappler would, but without touching him. Yeah. That's good striking. And that is what the one weird trick strikers so often lack Mm -hmm. uh, is the ability to like open up the opponent's stance to 
cleverly and subtly close the distance. And if not that, then to maintain the distance and not to allow the opponent to just surprise you by suddenly being in range. Yeah. Um, that's good striking. That is like a process of striking. And there are a lot of different little particular techniques you can use to, to get that. But that's what I'm looking for is control. That's what Christian Leroy Duncan doesn't really have as a striker. Now, I will say, I think he kind of has it as a clinch wrestler. Yeah, yeah. He's actually pretty good in the clinch. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, knows how to use his underhook, knows how to use head position. Um, He really fucked Dennis Tululin up in the clinch. Really did. A lot. A lot of just underhook, head position, and wrist control setting up knees to the body and thigh, and then releasing that wrist control hand to land an elbow or some of the best shoulder strikes I've seen since Conor McGregor's heyday. Yeah. Uh, you know, still a one weird trick ass kind of strike, but Hey, it's part of an arsenal that is, looks a lot more complete. And this is very typical, right? Of MMA strikers that, uh, they look, there's a lot more gaps in their game until they get their hands on somebody. Yeah. Now the caveat to this is that uh, he, the the man he completely controlled in the clinch was Dennis Tiululin. <laughs> yeah. Who is a bad wrestler. <laughs> Tiululin. Tiululin. Who yeah, who is not exactly a high benchmark um, no. of of wrestling ability. Still, I liked seeing that wrinkle mm-hmm. to uh, Duncan's game. But for as long as he is at range. Does he look like cleaner and more accurate and sharper uh, than Hibero? Often, yes. Yeah. I mean, Hibero's game is built around that face he's making in his topology picture. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is uh, the core of Claudio Hibero's yeah. game. Actually, the face is more of a, uh, yeah. Yeah. Sort of a, like a Lenny Kravitz music video face. Mm-hmm. Um, I am, I am here and I, I, I look cool. So that is the job is done. (laughs) Yeah. He looks like he's going to do a really shitty cover of a guess who song. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's a deep cut for the Lenny Kravitz haters out there. Um, yeah. Hibero is like your classic athletic Brazilian banger. Mm-hmm. like you want to talk about lack of control lack of process this is like such a throwback style that nonetheless is still very prevalent yep guy just like coiled ball of muscle launches at you with all the power he's got yeah uh, usually with like one idea at a time and can be incredibly easily cowed and thrown off that game well yeah because he doesn't know how to stop you if, if like he feels the actual the tide shifting like what's he gonna do he's got to knock you out yeah that's all there is either you're scared or you're getting knocked out if neither of those things is happening you might do anything to him and he can feel it he feels uh that he has no control over what's happening yeah like it's one thing for roman kapalov to go out there and dust hibero that's no surprise because the moment kapalov got on the, the front foot at all hibero yeah. just is wide open for everything. Kopolov is a and and Kopolov is a 
goddamn yeah. beast if you give him his range. He's exactly. Kapalov is a beast. But Abdul Razak al-Hassan took uh, Hibero's lunch money in the yeah. clinch. Yeah. Just dominated a domination of wills from Abdul Razak al-Hassan. Yeah. Mm-mm. That's the bad sign, especially given yeah. what uh, CLD just did to a Tululin in the clinch. Yeah. That is a particular area where he was stronger than I expected. Yep. Ibero is he's just not you have to be scared to death of him and what he's going to do to you yeah. or way less athletic than him for his game to work. Yeah. And that's not going to be Duncan. Agreed. Odds on the fight. Duncan is the favorite opened at minus 207 is currently minus 292. Hibero opened at plus 183. He's currently at plus 248. That line can only get wider, honestly. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Vinicius Oliveira, Bernardo Sopai. Or Sopaj? Sopai, I'm going to say. I'm I'm basing this this off the Turkali, which is T-U-R-K-A-L-J. Oh, he's Swedish, but he's Albanian-Swedish. Yeah. I don't know how J's are pronounced in Albanian. I'm just going to say Bernardo Sopai. I think I think that's a good guess. And uh, this will be a hilarious fight. <laughs> These are two dudes who have one setting only, which is power striking and nothing in between it at all. Vinicius Oliveira is a will back up at any time and then swing for the fences when you walk into him, power puncher, and will just give up range all the time and throw and hope and live on that prayer. And Sopai is a fighter who will pressure very slowly and wait until you try to punch and then throw something really, really hard at you. Or if that doesn't work, he will uh, wait till you come to him and then take you down. And have a punishing top game with not a lot of control. Yeah. Good ground and pound, but these are these are fighters whose only focus is on hurting you with a single shot. Both of them. Uh I guess really it just comes down to the fact that uh Oliveira has been knocked out a couple times and Gives up range all the time. Yeah. And Sapai has lost a couple decisions that were pretty close fights that, uh, you know, he just doesn't put a lot out there. So he's, if he doesn't knock you out, it's never going to be a clear fight for him. But I'll go with Sapai, I guess. Yeah. I suppose that's good enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
go on. I was say, the, the, there is no defining structure to these guys' games, either of them. Yeah. They are not going to impose a good fight. But, uh, you know, they, they both hit really hard. Pretty much. Sapai is three inches shorter. So if you really want to bank on Oliveira just like, winging punches and kicks from the end of his ra- edge of his range and being the first one to knock Sapai out, then that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll basically just side with you and, and go with durability. Yeah. Oliveira has both been, um, knocked out cold and attritively TKO'd or doctor stopped a couple of times. Besides that, yep. I think Sapai is capable of doing both those things. Sure. Yeah. Odds on the bout. Oliveira opened at minus 132. He's currently up at minus 110. Sapai opened at plus 111. Is currently at minus 100. So we're basically dead even right now. It is a hell of a coin flip fight. I would not Fair enough. move either way on it. Sapai's, like I say, his output is so low yeah. that... If he doesn't get a knockout, there is zero guarantee that he will have done enough to win the fight. Yeah. And Oliveira, every exchange he has is a 50-50, will you knock me out or will I knock you out kind of exchange. Yeah. It just seems like Sapai is a considerably cleaner striker. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which isn't isn't saying much, but yeah. No. Oliveira looks like he's going to throw his shoulder out of his socket every time he punches. Mm-hmm. All right, and that brings us to a lightweight bout. Loic Radabhav against uh, Abdul Karim Al Salwadi. Yeah. A guy, one of the few cases I've ever seen of a guy's name being too long For to be shown on the thumbnail yeah. <laughs> image of the topology page. A Al Salwadi. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, kind of a mirror match, honestly. It honestly is, except I think that, um, well, yeah, I was going to say Rajabov or aggressive, but I think for both of these guys, it really depends on what look the opponent gives them. Yeah, because Rajabov is, was very easily put on the back foot by Rebeski. Rebeski, yeah, because Rebeski is always going to try to come forward. And yeah. Rajabov just was like, okay. Uh, and we've seen him. a bunch of fights where Rajabov, where uh, Rajabov loses too, where he can just be like outworked if he yeah. can't get a takedown. Yeah. And um, also Wadi is, yeah, he's kind of similar. I think he, he maybe views himself more as like an open space or back foot fighter mm-hmm. to begin with. Um, yeah. His, uh, his striking is all based on like distance and timing. Yeah. He's going to move around a lot to try to draw you in. And then he's going to uncork something big and heavy. He seems like a fighter who has probably learned from his losses, all of which have come by knockout. Yeah. That he can't sit in one place. Yeah. He can't afford to have 
50-50 exchanges. So a lot of his striking is very high movement for a guy who is such a brick shit house. Yeah. Nor nor can he does he appear to to want to lunge after people. He wants uh because I mean based on like his striking mechanics, I can yeah. I can picture him being more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And that looks like a fighter who is really wide open to get countered. Yep. Um because he yeah, like I said, he throws everything full power, really, really coils up. And uh, I mean to his credit, like he does actually He's not just a right-hand machine. No. He, he'll he try a left hook. He'll try some short combinations. He is a more deft boxer than Rajabov, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Except that it's 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 sort of like a complacent version of like the Ludovic Klein thing where it's mm-hmm. like, how deft is he really? It's more yeah. just that, okay, you get this close. I'm going to throw something. Guess what I'm going to throw? Yeah. I don't think he's really in there sort of like feeling the openings his opponent is give him is giving him. Yeah. Um, no, he d- doesn't give me the impression of somebody who's paying close attention to the patterns in his opponents advanced. It's more like, well, last time he came in, I threw the right hand at him this time. I'm going to throw the left hook mm-hmm. better than nothing, but not all that subtle. Um, but uh, Roger Bob, possibly a better wrestler possibly yeah we kind of thought he was like mirror matched with um Rebeski, i recall yeah i picked Rebeski just because i was like Rebeski seems like the better boxer and he's just gonna yeah just aggressive and yeah he's aggressive and durable and powerful and he knows how to to go go out and walk through a lot of what Rajabov is trying to do. Yeah. Orbeski also just out wrestled him whenever they tied up. Yeah. I think I'm inclined to take Al Silwadi because of um I think the impression I get from Rajabov is he's he's just a lot less um I think he just sort of does what feels right <laughs> in the yeah. fight. Al Silwadi, it looks like he has come to a style which is somewhat like safe and calculated draw the other guy in trigger when he gets too close i i haven't seen anything like that from roger bob the other guy takes the back foot he's just gonna lumber after them Um, yeah the thing i think i've seen with roger bob is it like his game is really made for him to be the bully right if he can be the guy, if he's too strong and too powerful for his opponent, then he can wrestle them. He can land some big punches. He can, you know, he can bully them. Uh, but if his opponent can just kind of match him, then he gets discouraged. Yeah. His body and, language is really bad in that Urbeski fight after about the first round or so. He's like, yeah. He doesn't stop walking into the punches, but he, <laughs> he he looks like he's no longer actually doing it with any purpose. He just knows it's what he's supposed to do. Yeah. And so Wadi is, you know, I'm much more concerned about his durability considering the knockout losses he's had. Yeah. But he seems much more like a fighter who just is getting out there and having his kind of fight. And if it works, it works. And yeah. if it doesn't, it doesn't. But he's going to have his fight no matter what. You know? Yep. He's not going to be dissuaded or pushed off. It'll just be 
He's going to go out there and he's going to have a fight. And yeah, I, I'm going to pick Al Sawadi for that. Maybe Radzibov goes out there and sleeps him, but if he doesn't, I think they're going to be pretty evenly matched and Al Sawadi's going to be the guy just kind of doing more and making things happen regularly. Yeah, it's not like a high bar of uh, cunning, Mm-mm. but there is some strategy going on in Al Sawadi's game. Yeah. And yeah, Roger Bob is a, is a vibes fighter. Mm-hmm. Odds on the bout. Rajabov is the underdog here. Opened at about plus 135. It's currently a plus 150. Sawadi opened at minus 165. It's currently minus 184. I think it should be pretty near dead even. Yeah. You know, these guys have both won a lot and lost a lot. They tend to win on their physicality. And they tend, you know, in, in Rajabov's case, he loses when he's physically well matched. And Salwadi's case, he just gets slept sometimes. So it's a very chancy kind of fight. Yeah. Because I think they are physically well matched, which favors Salwadi, but getting th- having three knockout losses on the regionals. Yeah. That's not a good look. No, it is not. What is this uh, trophy that uh, Al Sawadi is holding in his topology photo? Desert Force Champion, the, that is the a, big shield. This is an outrageous looking trophy. It is absolutely huge. Yeah, that is uh, <laughs> quite ridiculous. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that. Go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey, Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.